Well, good morning. It is so good to be back here in person and so glad that you've joined us online as well. And today is finally the day that we will start into the book of Acts. Uh, we are doing a series called Origins, and we spent several weeks working towards uh, setting this study up because we really wanted to get an understanding of who the Holy Spirit is because the Holy Spirit is really the primary actor in the book of Acts, and we wanted to make sure we laid a really good foundation. So if you missed any of those, uh, you can go online and watch any of those three uh, series that talked about who the Spirit is, what the Spirit does, and how the Spirit works. And so just invite you. And, and also, um, if you haven't picked one of these up, these are Acts journals, and we have them on the communion tables in the aisles. Feel free to move and grab one if you want to. Uh, this is our gift to you. It's just a way to track along with the study. Just encourage you to bring this with you as you come each week. Because like I said, we are going to be spending this entire year uh, in the book of Acts. And so we just hope that you'll join us each and every Sunday. If you're online and you're not ready yet to come back in person, uh, we'd love to send you one of these. Or we could drop one off at your house. Just uh, drop uh, Lee Ellis an email, lee at southpointri.com. And we'll make sure that you get one of these uh, in your hands this morning. So I, I've got a confession to make this morning, and it may affect how you view me. <laughs> and, and I'm okay with that. I, I love history. I love history. And, and I think I get this love of history from my dad. Uh, my dad growing up always had this, uh, this uh, bookshelf full of uh, history books, mostly focused on the person of Abraham Lincoln and Civil War. My, we grew up in the land of Lincoln uh, in Springfield, Illinois, and so my dad was really a big Lincoln fan, and I think I got my love of history from my dad. And, and in particular, I, I love American history. And so when my family and I moved here a little more than seven years ago, it was like a, a, a kid in the candy store. I mean, within just a few hours' drive, you can just see all kinds of history. This is like the birthplace of America. And I'm, I'm like, my, I, I drive my family nuts. <laughs> because I'm that dad that likes to drag my kids to these places. And, and even worse, I'm that dad that likes to read everything. Like, we would be going through the museums or whatever, and my family's all set. They're done. They're, they're at the exit waiting for me, and I'm still, like, at the third exhibit, still reading every description. Yeah, I'm, I'm that dad. And my guilty pleasure is the History Channel. Like, I love the History Channel. And my favorite show on the History Channel is The Curse of Oak Island. Do we have any Curse of Oak Island fans in the room? Okay, we have a few. So... I became fascinated with the Curse of Oak Island, like, when I was a kid, the Reader's Digest, anybody ever, like, Reader's Digest, when I say Reader's Digest, do you even know what I'm talking about? Do they still publish that? Like, when I was a kid, I, we got the Reader's Digest, and I remember reading an article about Oak Island up in Nova Scotia, and the fact that there was this mysterious treasure there, and for, you know, over 200 years, people have been looking for this treasure, and Lo and behold, the History Channel decides they're going to do a series on this thing. And that for nine seasons, 
They've been looking for this treasure on Oak Island, and it's tied back to all kinds of stuff. I try to get my daughter involved in it. She's into it as well, a little bit, not so much. But, I mean, it combines two great things, right? History and treasure. I mean, what could you want more? And, and let's be honest, it would be easy for us to fall into this year's study at the book of Acts as just simply a study of history. You know, we can pick up some interesting facts on the way, maybe connect it a little bit to who we are now or where we're at now, and it would be easy to do this because Acts is really kind of this, this chronological narrative. It's a story of history, of what has happened long ago, different events that took place, different people that were involved. And, and yes, the book of Acts is the origin of the church, and, and it's interesting to understand where we've come from. I think that's why like sites like Ancestry.com and 23andMe are so like intriguing to us because we kind of want to know where we came from. We want to understand a little bit about ourselves and where we have come from. But, but my hope is that in these next several months together, there'll be so much more than a, than a study or so much more than a history lesson or, or even so much more than just getting to understand a little bit more about ourselves as a church. What, what I pray and hope for us is both individually and as a community of Jesus followers, that we will be reconnected to and engaged with why, as a church, we exist. And what God has called us to be and to do. So, so let's dive in. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 1, starting with verse 1 this morning. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. You, you see, this book is actually the second volume and a continuation of a book previously written by Luke, who was a follower of Jesus, to a person named Theophilus. And in the first book, which happens to be called Luke, which is part of the first four books of the New Testament, which we call the Gospels, which are basically narratives about who Jesus was, it gives us a detailed account of this person named Jesus. And that's why he says in there that I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And what Luke records is basically this in the book of Luke. He says, he, he talks about the fact that God himself came to earth in the form of a baby named Jesus, born in the humblest of circumstances. He was born to an insignificant Jewish family in a time when the Jewish people were under the oppressive rule of the Roman Empire, longing for the promised Messiah or Savior to come and deliver them. And then at the age of 30, this man named Jesus, he begins to gather followers, and for the next three years, he will teach them about what the kingdom of God is, and he will perform 
miraculous signs. He will do everything from helping the lame walk to making the blind see and even raising the dead. These amazing miracles. He tells those closest followers the reason that he's come is he's come to willingly give his life for them and for anyone who would believe in him and that he would raise from the dead. And by doing so, he will pay for our sin and make a way back to God to anyone who would believe in him. And yet, these closest followers believe that he had come to deliver them from Roman oppression the whole time that he's with them. The Jewish religious leaders saw him as a threat and plotted to put him to death. They convinced one of his closest followers to betray him. They illegally try him. They manipulate the Roman government and the crowd to have him crucified, and he dies the death of a criminal. And if this had been it, we wouldn't be here this morning. In fact, it's highly likely that we wouldn't even heard the name Jesus. And this is why, because his followers would have disbanded. It would have been the end of a movement and the end of hope. But that wasn't the end. Three days later, he would raise himself from the dead, and everything changes. This is what Jesus began to do and to teach, but he wasn't finished. Verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Over a period of 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to many different people. Let me just give you a quick list. He, re he appears to Mary Mag the day of his resurrection, he appears to Mary Magdalene and the women at the tomb. He, he appears to two men on the road to Emmaus. He appears to Peter. He, he appears to 11 of his closest followers in a, in a closed room. Later, he'll appear to seven on a, on a lake shore. And again, he'll appear to 12 of his closest followers. At one point, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 15 records that at one point, he appeared to over 500 people at one time. And then later, and we will read this in the book of Acts, he appears to a man named Saul on the road to Damascus. And it says not only that he, that he, that, did he appear after his suffering, after his death, after his resurrection, that he appeared by many proofs. And, and what this is important to, to note is it wasn't, this wasn't just like made up. This wasn't just an imagination. They didn't just imagine this or this wasn't just an apparition. He, he had them touch him. They ate with him. He, they, he spoke with them. He spent time with them. You read this over and over and over in the scriptures. And he continued to teach them more about why he came. There's this really interesting passage. As Luke's writing the end of that first volume, he says this. Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 45, he said, Then he said to them, after he had described why he had come, Then he said to them, 
These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. In other words, he's saying everything that's been written about me in the Old Testament has now been fulfilled. And this is incredible. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And why this is significant, I mean, this is like an aha moment for these followers of Jesus. Like all of a sudden, all of these Old Testament passages that some of them had memorized as as children, they begin to see how these connected to who Jesus was. And you can see this reflected like in in the gospel. If you read the gospel of Matthew, Matthew over and over and over again refers to what Jesus, what how the Old Testament predicted or how the Old Testament was fulfilled by Jesus coming. All of a sudden, they knew. It's like the light bulb goes on. They're like, aha, now we understand that you actually fulfill everything about the Old Testament. Verses 4 and 5. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but now, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. There's a word in the middle of that, those verses, that's a hard word to hear. That's the word wait. I hate waiting. How many of you have ever said, you know, waiting is my favorite? I mean, think about this for them. I mean, they're told to wait in Jerusalem. My guess is that's probably the last place they wanted to wait. The person that they had dedicated their life to, that they had followed all this time, had just been crucified. And they've been accused, these followers have been accused of of stealing his body. Like waiting in Jerusalem is not just the waiting part, it's the dangerous part. There tells them to wait in Jerusalem. But I think there's even more difficulty for them in this. And this is kind of captured in this next verse. And so he takes them out on this mount called the Mount of Olives. And he says this, so when, verse, verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? I I think one of the reasons it's hard to wait is because they still are expecting him to overthrow Rome. They still don't get why Jesus has come. I, I mean, I think that they're thinking, wow, we've really got, like, you know, this guy, not only is he killed, but now he's raised from the, like, Even death can't hold him down. I mean, what a leader, right? I mean, that's awesome. Now we can really go and overthrow Rome. Like, you're you're like immortal. (laughs) And they still don't realize fully that Jesus' death and resurrection has done so much more. 
that he's it's freed them. It's freed them. It's freed us from sin, and it's given us hope of life after death. Verse 7. He said to them, in response to this question, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. That's tough to hear. That's really tough to hear. I mean, behind their question is like, is it time now? I mean, is, is, are, we, are we good to go? Can we make this happen? And what Jesus is saying is basically, hey, God's in control. God knows best. And you don't need to know. It's hard not to know. We... We want to know. We want to know the who. We want to know the what. We want to know the when. And most importantly, sometimes, we want to know the why. Right? Especially when bad stuff happens. We want to know the why. What, why, what is at the core of that? Why, why do we need to know? Why did they want to know? I think it's because ultimately they really want to be in control. Right? It's an issue of control. It's an issue of trust. I love what author Paul Tripp writes. He says this. He says, Our peace of heart does not rest on how much we know, how much we have figured out, or how accurately we have been able to predict the future. No, our rest is in the person who holds our individual futures in his wise and gracious hands. We have peace because we know that he will complete the good things that he, in his grace, has initiated in our lives. Get this. He is faithful, so he never leaves the work of his hands. He is gracious so that he gives us what we need, not what we deserve. He is wise so that he does what is always best. He is sovereign so he rules all situations and locations where we live. And he is powerful. He can do what he pleases when he pleases. We can trust him. And Jesus goes on in Acts 1, verse 8, he says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I mean, really, this is the summary of what the book of Acts is. This one verse is really what we're going to see and read. We're going to see God's 
the person of the Holy Spirit, one of the parts of the Trinity, one of the persons of the Trinity, is going to come in power on these followers, these ordinary men and women, no different than you and I. The power of the Holy Spirit is going to come on these followers of Jesus, and they are going to be witnesses of Jesus to all of these different places, to the place where they've been told to wait to Jerusalem, to the area surrounding Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria, which was just to the north, and then to the ends of the earth. And they will share about who Jesus is, of what they have seen, of what they have experienced, the transformation that has taken place in their lives because of Jesus. That's what a witness does. But understand, this is not just the thesis for the book of Acts. This is still the thesis for the church. It's our purpose. It's the reason we exist. It's why our mission statement is what our mission statement is. And the reason that we exist is because we want everyone to experience God's unconditional love. And we believe that God's unconditional love is a person, and it's the person of Jesus. And we, too, are called to be witnesses of what Jesus has done for us, of who he is and what he has done it's not just why the church as a whole exists. The, the big C church, South Point, it's, not why, it's why we individually exist as well. And here, if I'm being completely honest this morning, this is what I wrestle with. If all of this is true, why wouldn't I want to share it? Not just why wouldn't I want to share it, but wouldn't I need to share this? If I believe that Jesus died so that we could be reconciled back to God and that we have this amazing, incredible hope because of what he's done for us, I'd want to share that with everybody if this is true. And, and honestly, there are times that I am far more excited about some trivial facts regarding a sports team, or, or I'm more excited about the fact that I just had some great pizza lately, and I'm willing to share that stuff, I'm not so willing to share this good news. Oftentimes what I forget is that we don't do this alone. We have the Holy Spirit in us that shares through us the same Spirit that we're going to read about in the book of Acts doing these amazing things. The same Spirit that's with us today, the same Spirit that's in me, and the same Spirit that's in you if you've said yes to Jesus. And He's continually pointing people to Jesus. It's what he does. 
continuing to point us to Jesus. And here's the fact. It's, it's news so good that I think we just have to share it. And then this passage concludes, verses 9 through 11. I want you to get the picture of this, okay? I think sometimes, again, I've said this over and over again, and sometimes we can read words on a page, we don't really, like, interact or connect with them. Picture this scene as I read this, all right? So he's giving them this big thesis, this big, like, this is what you're going to do. And by the way, he doesn't, he doesn't say, hey, if you will. He says, you will be my witnesses, right? I mean... And, and, why, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of, out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This, is, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Imagine that moment. They're just standing there. They're listening to Jesus. And all of a sudden, you realize he's taller. <laughs> and you realize like his feet are at your his head. And it's like there's air between like the ground and his feet. I mean, he's just like, I don't know what that was like. It was like, you know, kind of like you know, super quick or just really slow, mo but he just ascends into heaven, disappears in the clouds, and they're just like, I'm, I'm guessing they're just standing there like, what on earth just happened? In fact, they're so, like, perplexed by this thing that I think this may be the only place that angels appear, and they don't have to say, fear not, they don't even know that they're there. But what I don't want you to miss in this last verse is the hope of this last verse. This same Jesus that you just saw ascend into heaven will come back the same way that you just saw him leave. I mean, that, that's hope. Someday, Jesus is going to come back. He's going to return. Everything will be fulfilled. Everything will be made new. Everything will be complete, and we will be with him forever. That's the hope that we hold on to, is the fact that someday Jesus is going to come again. And in the meantime, what he has called us to do is to share this good news of what he's done with everyone, so everyone has this opportunity to experience his unconditional love. Let's pray. Father, you are awesome. You are so, so good. And what you have done for us is simply amazing. And Father, I pray that you would transform us as individuals and as a community. Father, if people don't know you yet that are listening, Father, I pray that through this study they would come to know you more and what you have done for us. And Father, I pray that for those of us who are have been following, I pray that you would ignite something in us to, 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 to put us on the mission that you've called us to.
Father, that you would continue to make us more like Jesus through your Holy Spirit, continue to point people to Jesus through the way that we live and the things that we say. Father, we love you and we trust you, and it's in your Son's name that I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.